This is The Guardian. Today, what will a winter of strikes really look like? It's the nurses, the paramedics, the posties, the bus drivers, the railway workers, the academics, the security guards, the baggage handlers, the border force staff, the civil servants, it's even the driving test examiners. And soon it could be the teachers and the junior doctors too. In the last year, the referrals to me have gone up 100%, but I've not doubled, I'm, I'm still one person. Is my job good for me? Probably not. Welcome to the winter of strikes. This year, across the country and across multiple industries, workers will be taking industrial action on a scale not seen since the 1980s. It's estimated that at least one strike will take place almost every day in December and January. And on some days, as many as 18 strike actions will be organised by different trade unions. Why should people work for a company that doesn't treat them properly? doesn't pay them properly, it treats them as a commodity, basically. What do we want? Clear respiration! What do we want it? Now! What do we want? Clear respiration! What do we want it? Now! What do they want? A rate of pay in line with inflation, decent working conditions, a quality standard of living, and in some cases, an acknowledgement of how hard they work. When do they want it? Well... Before Christmas would be nice. The government says that the country's finances are in dire straits and that they need to look for savings wherever they can. But the unions are fighting back tooth and nail. How will the political deadlock be broken? And what impact will all this have on keeping the country up and running? From The Guardian, I'm Noshi Iqbal. Today in Focus, will a season of strikes bring better pay and conditions for workers, or just bring the country to a standstill? Stuart, you're a special correspondent for The Guardian, and you've been following the progression of the industrial action that's taking place across the country. Now, in the run-up to Christmas, there are strikes happening nationwide and across a really wide range of sectors. Can you give us an idea about the scale of this and how it compares to previous periods of worker discontent? Yeah, so it's on a scale that we haven't seen for decades, and it's so widespread you know, because you've got inflation as high as it is, you have workers right across the public and the private sector just feeling that, that you know, their, their wages are not keeping up with inflation, their living standards are falling and it's not on. And so you've got private sector industries, um, you know, whether it's sort of baggage handlers in the, the air industry, whether it's security guards or cleaners, and you've got the public sector, whether it's nurses who are taking these two days of really historic 
strike action before Christmas. We've not seen that before. Teachers are balloting. You know, civil servants are going out just before Christmas in what's going to be a sort of wave of strikes. So it's really, really widespread. And, you know, it's going to just increase in volume, really, as we go sort of through December and into the new year. Heather, this is a huge question, but what exactly is going on? Why are we seeing so many workers in so many different industries striking at the same time? So I think there's a range of factors. One is inflation is so high. You know, it's running at about 11%, highest we've seen in 40 years. And that means that everybody's really feeling this cost of living crisis, this emergency we're seeing. In an exclusive survey, two thirds of nurses said they have to work overtime to pay the bills and a stark 39% admitted missing meals to feed their families or save money. I'm using a food bank. Um, a really good um, Christian organisation. I've now taken out credit cards. I don't usually have credit cards because I just work overtime to pay my bills, but obviously I'm not sure how I'm going to get through December. I'm not sure how I'm going to get through January. And then I think you add in some other factors. Uh, One of those, I think, is about the state of the labour market. So you've got a lot of people having left the labour market since the pandemic. Lots of people are, they might be on long-term sick, they might have decided to retire for other reasons. So actually, you've got employers scratching around a bit to manage to fill the jobs that they've got. Mm. And that means actually that workers are in potentially quite a strong bargaining position. You know, there's a general feeling, I think, among employers that, you know, it's tricky to get and retain the people that you need to keep, you know, keep your business going. So I think, to some extent, unions think, Okay, might be worth chancing our arm in a fact that in a way that maybe it wouldn't have been a few years ago. I also think I think the pandemic changed the way people think a bit. So a lot of these industries and these workers, particularly if you look at the public sector, for example, they're people who were on the front line in that incredibly kind of searing period that we all experience. And we were all saying, thanks so much. You're the key workers. You're the pandemic heroes. And it's not putting food on the table. It's not putting food on the table. And I think maybe they felt there would be a sense of gratitude afterwards. Maybe that would, would, you know, show itself perhaps in their pay or in their working lives getting a bit easier. And of course, the reverse of that has happened. That creates a real feeling of sort of injustice, of unfairness, and that really fuels this sort of dispute. Heather, how has the government responded to all of this? I mean, there have been warnings all year that the country would be facing this apparent winter of chaos, of misery, widespread unrest, basically. And yet here we still are. What is the government's strategy? So I think it's changed a bit as we've gone through the year. So of course, we've had three prime ministers this year. But in the the early months of this year, you had Grant Shapps as Transport Secretary. And when the RMT strikes were going on or were sort of looming, Grant Shapps' approach and really the Johnson government's approach was really nothing to do with us and to really strongly politicise it. So there was lots of kind of these are Keir Starmer's Union paymasters. When the, when the leader of the Labour Party hasn't even got the gumption, Mr. Speaker, to speak out against the rail strikes, doing so, much, doing so much damage to the people in the north of this country, up and down this country. Absolutely unbelievable silence from the leader of the Labour Party, Mr. Speaker. I mean, I think we've seen a bit of an evolution. So, in the Rishi Sunak government, Mark Harper, who is now the Transport Secretary, you know, he's 
I would say, been a little bit more pragmatic. So he has at least sat down with the unions, tried to have some conversations and maybe try and find a way through. And I think part of that is because the government is beginning to realise, actually, voters are going to hold them at least partly responsible. And it's, it's, it's just not going to work for them to just sort of step back and say, nothing to do with me. So you've seen a slightly different approach. What you've absolutely not seen is, as I say, more money on the table. Could you introduce yourself? Yep, so my name's Harry. I am a clinical nurse specialist in the field of addiction and I've been a qualified nurse for the past four years. Harry, we all know that the nursing profession has borne the brunt of an incredibly tough few years. How did you and your colleagues cope through the pandemic? So I ended up not going home for the whole year. I was locked down in the area of work so that I could stay and be an on-call manager. As it kind of bore to an end, I ended up having three or four weeks off just with a stress-related pain condition that I think was just the accumulation of a year and a half of kind of unknown territory fear for our patients, fear for what we were doing. And, and it was a really, really difficult time. And I know a lot of my colleagues felt the same. Harry, you and up to 100,000 nurses in England and Wales are set to go on strike on December the 15th and the 20th. In the plainest terms, Why? So for me, the most important factor is how many nursing vacancies we have. The Nursing Times published an article saying 47,500 nursing vacancies in England alone. What that means to people like myself is that every day we go into work, we're not supported with the amount of colleagues that we should have. You don't feel like you're able to provide the care that you wish you, you could and that you know people deserve. And that gets really heartbreaking, really, I guess is the only word. At the moment, one thing that we know, and this isn't speculation, we 100% know, is that patients are suffering as a result of short staffing. We know that clinics are being cancelled. We know that operations are being cancelled. And that's a real worry. And that's happening now. On strike days, we will ensure there is minimal safe staffing. And there's, there's various mechanisms that the RCN has set out to ensure that. But actually, I think if we were to not do anything, that we would be allowing this to get worse and, and allowing more harm. Do you feel like you're constantly stretched or are there days where you feel like you're just not able to do the job like you want to be able to do it? Well, that that's every day, you know, and I, I love my job. But is my job good for me? Probably not. If I were to kind of objectively look at my life and look at my mental health, it's that day to day stress and burnout of just feeling constantly overwhelmed. You're just not on top of anything and that you're not achieving anything. And it's not like this comes in in waves like, oh, well, it's just a few weeks here and there. And we all have bad weeks at work. When that becomes your day to day norm, it's really, really hard. And I can see why I've got colleagues leaving the profession. I'm not able to save. I'm, I'm running into my overdraft much, much sooner than I normally would, just because everything is getting more expensive. When we've got people who work so, so hard day in, day out, doing a service that we all need and it's a highly skilled service people put a lot of extra training into it and the fact that not only are they not rewarded fairly but they're not even given enough to live off is uh, quite frankly it's just not not a society you want to be part of harry finally if things don't change and if the government don't listen to nurses what do you think that means for the profession in the near future without nursing staff without nursing care we don't have an nhs it's not over nothing that we choose to strike it's about the NHS. It's about the level of care that we have, something that we are so, so proud of, to have care that is free at the point of access for those who need it. And that is worth protecting 100%. Heather, we've just heard from Harry, one of the nurses going on strike, and 
one of the areas most affected by strikes this winter and one of the areas that worries people the most is the NHS. Now, in the pandemic, we all clapped the commitment of the NHS workforce. How have things deteriorated to this point? I mean, I think there's a real feeling of desperation. I think, you know, the NHS is losing a lot of staff, partly because of, you know, what they've gone through in the pandemic, partly because, you know, if you speak to some of the NHS employers, they say, you know, you can get better money sometimes for going to work in a supermarket. I spoke to Matthew Taylor, who runs the NHS Confederation the other week, and he was saying, you know, Aldi, Aldi and Amazon are kind of words often on the lips of NHS employers because people are literally going off to work in Amazon warehouses rather than in the sort of... And and of course, you know, the NHS needs not just nurses, it needs the cleaners, it needs the security guards, it needs the the porters. And, you know, it's really struggling to hang on to people at the moment. And I think they're... But it says something, doesn't it? If Amazon doesn't have the best record on employees' rights is attracting workers from the NHS. Absolutely. And it's partly pay and it's partly the conditions that people are having to work in, I think. So... With the NHS, what do the negotiations look like so far? We've read that the latest offer for nurses is 4.75%, but what are nurses asking for? They are asking for 5% above inflation, so that would be, you know, sort of 15-odd percent. I mean, as you can tell, there's a very, very big gap there between what they're asking for and what they're being offered. The Royal College of Nursing say the reason we need this, apart from the fact that sort of nurses seem to be sort of leaving the profession in droves, is that... We've had so many years of pay freezes or, or, you know, below inflation pay rises that experienced nurses are now being paid 20% less in real terms than they were in 2010. Well, The Guardian reported that nurses are now using food banks, which obviously is extraordinary. But does it look like this dispute might be resolved at any point soon? I mean, it doesn't feel like it, unless there's some very creative thinking going on in the Department of Health. And that is certainly not the sense that you get. Um, And in fact, you know, some sort of you know, anonymous reports out of out of Whitehall, out of government, suggest that they are hoping that, that public opinion turns against the nurses. Well, that may happen. That's certainly not what the RCN's expecting. Heather, for anyone who's tried to see their GP, called for an ambulance, visited an A&E, or simply been waiting months for an operation or treatment, they know how difficult things already are in the NHS. And now, with paramedics striking alongside nurses... How much will patient care be affected by the strikes? So all of the unions involved say that they have sort of, they call it life and limb cover, you know, that they will make sure that emergencies are dealt with. However, non-emergency things, whether it's, you know, elective operations or whatever, absolutely you will see cancellations and, and people will see, you know, yet more disruption to a service that already feels like it's really struggling. Now, the unions will say it's exactly because the NHS is in such a state that we are taking this action. I suspect the government will be trying to say this is on the unions. You know, that's to some extent a PR battle that will be fought over the weeks and months to come, I think. Sandy, could you introduce yourself first of all? Hello, I'm Sandy and I'm a postal worker. I've worked for the business for 33 years. Um, My husband is also a delivery postie and my son is now a postie too and has been there for just, just under a year. And how important has Royal Mail been to your life? Royal Mail has been most of my life. I started when I was 23. I'm 57 now. So communications union workers are taking strike action against Royal Mail over the month of December. 
Sandy, will you be joining them? Yes, I am going to be joining them for the other strikes that we have planned in December. And that is due to the fact that as the dispute has gone on, things have actually progressively got worse. It started with us being balloted over our pay. We've had 2% imposed upon us, which is nowhere near the, the pay increase that we would need to be keeping up with the cost of living. In the media, it's been portrayed as 9%. Uh, 1.5% would be for next year. And all the other percentage of that 9% is linked to signing away our terms and conditions. They're also going to be cutting allowances. So uh, my husband and I both would actually lose £40 a week in allowances. That may not sound a lot of money to some people, but on a postman's wage or postie's wage, that is almost a day's pay. And this dispute has been going on for months. What is the feeling amongst your colleagues? How is morale at the moment? The majority of people, I think, are feeling pretty low. I think it's affecting people's mental health, to tell you the truth. Because when you've got such uncertainty, in the end, it sort of wears you down. But it's brought everybody together. We're trying to help each other. So those of us that are in a better position than others, we're trying to buy extra food for people that are struggling. Um, Some people have given some cash donations. And also, you know, another one of my colleagues um, brought some presents for kids for Christmas. So we'll be giving those to people that are struggling to give their kids Christmas presents. What do you think Royal Mail means to people? It's not just a case of just delivering the mail. We take pride in what we do. Most of us regularly deliver to the same area, so we get to know our customers, and it's a wonderful thing that you can be part of those communities. You know, people might say, oh, we're going away on holiday next week, could you keep an eye on the place? It's just a nice relationship that we have with people. Sandy, your son is a part of the next generation of posties. Do you worry about his future and about others joining Royal Mail at this point? It's it's a worry for the the people that are coming behind us because, you know, I could say and my husband could say, well, you know, we've only got a few more years. What does it matter to us? But there's so many people in Royal Mail who obviously have got a lot longer of service, hopefully within the company to carry on with. And, you know, why should people work for a company that, doesn't treat them properly. Heather, we've just heard from Sandy, a Royal Mail postie from Swindon. Now, this is one of the many formerly publicly owned services that has been privatised in the last decade. How different are the issues and the negotiations for these workers compared to the public sector? So I think it's broader in a way. So it's also about pay, obviously. But there, there's a sort of wider set of issues which are about the way the company is run, the way it's organised, you know, the Communication Workers Union, CWU, which is the union involved, you know, talks about very high executive pay, for example, and sort of big changes to their working lives. And it's, it's that's quite a big part of what they're fighting about. You know, it's quite a politicised dispute in a way. They, they feel that you know, what the management are trying to do is, in inverted commas, break the union. Well, it's been reported in 2022 that Royal Mail paid out £600 million to shareholders and managers. And yet, obviously, its workers are really feeling the pinch, not feeling that great at work or that their conditions are workable. How do you see this dispute being resolved? And how likely is it that it will be? 
to be optimistic, there was that the CWU also had a dispute at BT, another privatised utility, earlier this year. And that one is in the process of being sorted. So I think I'm right in saying that BT has made an improved offer as a result of, or they would say certainly as a result of strike action and, you know, are, are currently consulting their members on that. So sometimes these things do get resolved, but it, it just feels with the Royal Mail dispute that it's quite bitter, it's quite protracted. That one does feel like it's got a, a bit of a way to, to run. Now, the one sector where strikes have been ongoing this year is the rail network. And the disruption is particularly intense across northern England, where the regions are already so poorly served by public transport. How has this dispute unfolded? And where do things currently stand between the union, RMT, and the government as we speak? So there has been a bit of movement in recent weeks on this. There's two separate disputes, really, the RMT are involved in on the rail network. One concerns the rail delivery group, which is the train operators, and the other is network rail, which is the, you know, operating the the sort of network, the tracks, as it were. On both of those disputes, there's been a new offer in recent days. So the RMT is not happy with either of those offers. As we speak, they're saying they're going to put the network rail offer to their members, but the RMT are suggesting to members they vote against and, you know, go ahead with strikes in the run up to Christmas. You know, talks are ongoing, negotiations are happening. However, the RMT's Mick Lynch, who he sort of certainly for some months has been the sort of the face of strike action almost, he's, mm. he's, and he's become a bit of a sort of a media star almost because he's quite an, a, a pugnacious bit of a cult hero he's a bit of a a bit of a uh, yeah he's he's become a bit of a star but certainly his line is you know there isn't enough leeway still for the companies involved to be able to make offers he was he was claiming that you know his sort of interlocutors in the negotiations are saying we'd like to offer this but the government won't let us um government deny that and say you know it's not down to them but you know, you're still in a bit of an impasse. But it does feel as though there has been some movement and the door is open and and the government are at least to some extent showing an interest. The trains are obviously essential to infrastructure for people getting to work, for leisure, for hospitality, just moving around the country. What has the cost of the strikes been so far? And how does that tally against the government's priority to grow the economy? So I think the latest official figures show you that there were 205,000 um, days lost to strikes, which is the, the sort of uh, the way the Office for National Statistics measured it in September. I mean, that's tiny compared to, for example, you know, the peak was September 1979, which was, funnily enough, a few months after the winter of discontent. There was a big engineering strike at that time, but there were 11 million days lost in a single month then. I mean, I would say that the workers who've walked out so far, the numbers are quite small compared to you know, what we're going to see in the coming months if, if, if you get the public sector workers coming out. Coming up, how much worse could things get? I think it's fair to say that there is an incredible amount of media hostility towards widespread industrial action. Mick Lynch has been dubbed Mick Grinch by the tabloids, Nurses are being vilified for not caring for their patients. And Royal Mail workers are derided for not being able to compete in a world where Amazon, UPS, DPD, where they all exist. How much has this affected public feeling? How do people genuinely feel about industrial action in England? I mean, it's quite hard to judge, isn't it? I was looking at some polling at the end of last week that was suggesting you know, if you ask people, are unions a force for good or a force for bad? 
it's pretty evenly balanced. <laughs> it's right. kind of, um, you know, 30 odd percent each way, if I remember correctly. And I think these things are always quite sensitive to, you know, particular situations and probably to, to particular individuals' experiences of how their lives have been disrupted by it. So I think it's it's actually quite difficult to know how it will play out and how much of the blame will be laid at, at the door of the individual workers who are striking. And I think we'll have to see how that goes. I mean, I, th- I think, you know, we, we are definitely going to see headlines over the coming weeks of, you know, um, the unions have ruined your Christmas, you know, this or that person has had their op- operation cancelled and it's the nurse's fault. You know, there's a question of whether the public believe that. And I think you've got some very articulate union leaders and, you know, these union leaders do have a sort of broader narrative here, which is about, you know, a government that spent 12 years running down the system. It's about workers who are really genuinely struggling, struggling to make ends meet, going to food banks, all of that. You know, and they will be out there trying to make those arguments as as powerfully as possible. What about the strength of unions in general? I mean, in decades gone, it is because of unions and strikes that workers have enjoyed employment rights that we now take for granted. Sick pay, holiday, maternity leave, fixed working hours and so on. How powerful are the unions in 2022? We know that there's been a sort of systemic effort really to weaken unions over the past more than a decade, certainly. started with the Thatcher governments and there have been a string of pieces of legislation to try and do that. Unions will say it's just become harder and harder to prove that your members want to take action. You know, there's a piece of legislation currently being proposed by the government also, which specifically looks at the transport sector and... You know, it was in the Conservative Manifesto, but it would legislate for sort of minimum levels of service on strike days. So, you know, it would make it very difficult to create the disruption that, you know, transport unions would say they need to create in order to sort of make their point. Well, Heather, have any workers' disputes been resolved successfully in the last 12 months or so? And if so, does it show that striking can work? Yeah, that, I mean, there are there are a few. So the CWU uh, is consulting its members at the moment about an enhanced offer they've had from BT. They're recommending that their members accept that deal. I think they've they've done well out of that. Unite has talked about a sort of string of victories. Really, one of them is the Liverpool dock workers. You know, who recently won a chunky pay rise out after after a series of walkouts. You know, it, it gets resolved usually with unions and and management getting back round the table. And interestingly, you know. Rishi Sunak has, uh, it's been reported, set up a strike unit um, in Downing Street. And, you know, part of the tone of that, at least if the reporting is right, is, you know, he wants to see some deals struck here. You know, so so it's a different, quite a different vibe from earlier this year where it was, you know, we're not going to talk to union barons. Well, how much more widespread could strikes get? Who else is considering strike action in the next year? Yeah, so the really big one in the new year is is teachers. So you're talking about hundreds of thousands of individuals. Um, you've got several unions coordinating their strike ballot. The results of that are due, I think, in January. They could well take action from sort of late January, early February. So that will be the really big one, I think, in the new year. Well, considering how widespread the strikes are and have been, why hasn't the government done more to prevent them going ahead and what suggestions have Labour made to resolve the situation? I think the government's stance would be, you know, we have at least in some sectors offered perhaps a little bit more than workers might have had in previous years. But of course, the fact is inflation is running at 11%. So even if the government thinks it's been 
you know, relatively generous, there's still going to be a huge gap. But, you know, it's also that we had that whole sort of chaotic crisis with the Liz Trust government that was all about, um, you know, governments, government promising to spray money everywhere and getting punished for it. Well, rightly or wrongly, the lesson that Rishi Sunak and Jeremy Hunt have learned from that is we need to be very, very tight with public spending. And so, you know, they, they have just not put any extra money aside for dealing with these disputes. Labour wise, I think their approach mainly has been to say, get round the table. So I was at the TUC Congress earlier this year where Keir Starmer gave a speech. It was a speech that was completely overshadowed because it was the day that Liz Truss resigned. Um, (laughs) But, you know, he was talking about reversing some of that anti-union legislation that we've seen in the last 10 years. He was talking about having what Labour calls fair pay agreements across certain sectors, which would be quite a radical thing. So, for example, you might take all the employers across social care and the government would sort of facilitate negotiations and you would end up with a minimum pay rate across that sector. So, it's you know, some quite radical stuff there. Heather, there is a pervasive sense that everything in the UK just feels a little bit broken and widespread strikes just add to that frustration and despair. How do we get out of this? Is there light at the end of the tunnel? Yeah, it does feel bleak at the moment, doesn't it? And I I really agree with you that, that there is just this sense that whether it's trying to get your Christmas cards delivered on time or trying to go and see, you know, Auntie Maureen at Christmas or whether it's, you know, something much more serious like waiting for an operation or treatment or trying to get a GP appointment or whatever it is, there really is this sort of sense that everything is just a bit crap. The backdrop to all of this is the economy, obviously, and, you know, interest rates are going up, everyone's borrowing costs are going up. That won't go on forever. Nothing ever does. So, you know, it's going to be a grim winter. There's no doubt about that. Eventually, that will wane because, you know, these things always do. In the short term, though, I think it's right that some of these disputes are going to be very, very hard to to resolve. And at the moment, there doesn't seem to be the will really on the government side to to sort of make that happen and smooth things over. But yeah, there is light at the end of the tunnel, but um, it's a way off. Heather, thank you so much. You're welcome. That was Heather Stewart. My thanks to her, Harry and Sandy. You can follow Heather's reporting and read more about the latest strike action at theguardian.com. And that's it for today. This episode was produced by Natalie Katena and Eva Krisiak. Additional research was by Safi Bugel. Sound design is by Solomon King. And the executive producer was Huma Halili. We'll be back tomorrow. This is The Guardian. The Guardian. 